3: Welcome in, podcast listeners. Encourage you to go check out the new Wins and Losses podcast with Rich Greenfeld. It's outstanding. If you're interested in sports, media, and business, you will love it. Maybe you're listening to it on your drive as you head to go watch a football game in college or the NFL or maybe high school this weekend when you got a long drive. Also, loaded Friday show for you Lance Taylor from Jocks Down in Birmingham, Alex Marvez, our NFL insider, and Joel Klatt live from Norman, Oklahoma as he gets ready for the big Sooners game. All that is headed your direction now. Appreciate you downloading the podcast. Hope you have a fantastic weekend and hope you enjoy the show, which begins now. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is
4: the best of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio.
3: Live from the Geico OutKick studios, well, a lot of people had given up the Philadelphia Eagles for dead after their 1-2 and two start. There were an awful lot of Green Bay Packer fans arguing our defense is back. We got this. Things are different this year in Green Bay. And guess what? We got a good Thursday night game that blew up both of those narratives. Props to the Eagles going down 10 nothing early. It looked like they were in severe trouble. The Packers got off to another good start, but the Eagles returned fire, and this was an excellent Thursday night football game. I mean, I thought that everything about it was fantastic, basically, from the opening kick on. Now, uh, at the end... You certainly had some goal line plays that did not go your way. And if, perchance, you're just waking up this morning and you didn't stay awake for the entirety of that game last night, here was the key play down the stretch. The Eagles have a seven-point lead. And as they have a seven-point lead, they are defending to try to avoid this game potentially being tied or going into overtime. Whatever else might have happened, Aaron Rodgers drops back to pass and this is what happened.
4: Fourth down, goal to go, the Eagles won 9.08 to go in the game, Packers trailing 34-27. They bunch three receivers on the left, Rogers takes out a shotgun, looks around, waiting, scrambles, buys time, rolls right, still looking, throws end zone, and it's incomplete, Jimmy Graham high in the air, back line of the end zone on the right, got a hand on it and could not haul it in. The Eagles take over at the 1.
3: So, that is uh, what happened after the game. Aaron Rodgers was asked about the play calling and about the way the game went down. He had this to say.
4: Well, I feel good about all four calls. I mean, we had a fade to Jimmy. Uh, we had a keeper that they played well. Uh, we had a, you know, an RPO, you know, and then we had the fourth down call. But I feel good about, you know, we had a couple opportunities there, I think, to, uh, to score. We just didn't quite execute. But, uh, yeah, it, it hurts, uh, obviously, they're, you know, the way they were stopping the run. We felt good about those four calls, and, and I, I like the calls, and I feel like we were close to on a couple of those to really score and tie it up. We got to score in the red zone. This is one of those games where you know we got to pick them up. They've been picking us up the first three weeks, and tonight was our opportunity, and we obviously came up a little short there in the red zone. But I feel good about our squad. Um, I don't think we're going to uh, lack confidence moving forward. We have a nice uh, couple days off, and then we'll get ready for Dallas.
3: So that is the takeaway. Uh, bigger picture storylines, I would say, that are worth contemplating. In the AFC North, you got to feel good about this if you're the Bears or you're the Vikings because it keeps the Packers from starting off the first quarter of the season a perfect 4-0, maybe a chance for your squads to tie it up this weekend and feel like it's a three-team uh, race down the stretch. I don't know if it's fair to say the stretch yet, but a three-team race. Uh, there in the uh, AFC North, and look if uh, if the Detroit Lions go out and somehow pull off the upset over the Chiefs, then the AFC sorry the 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 AFC the NFC North is one of the most intriguing storylines in all of the NFL. And the flip side in the NFC East, it looked like the Dallas Cowboys might be able to just go ahead and win this thing outright really early in the season because. I don't think anybody out there believes the Washington Redskins are very good. The Giants, if they had a 35-yard field goal made, are basically done. Instead, the the uh, the Packers uh, go out and can't get it done at home. And as a result, the Eagles get a really tough road win that I don't think a lot of people anticipated. And now we'll see what happens with the Cowboys going on the road against the Saints. If the Cowboys were to lose, then all of a sudden the NFC East looks a little bit more interesting than maybe you would have thought it would Uh, given the way that the Cowboys have started this season. So, those are the big picture takeaways. I would say in general, even though they lost, if you are a Packer fan, you have to like the way Aaron Rodgers played in general. That might be the best that Aaron Rodgers has played in a couple of years, it felt like. He looked like old school Aaron Rodgers, the way he was running around in the pocket, patting the football. He looked healthy. He was holding the ball. He was looking downfield. He was making a lot of big time throws. Now, the Packer uh, defense, they really got the ball run down their throat by what the Eagles were doing against them. Created some big holes, took a lot of opportunities there uh, to take advantage of what they were uh, what they were seeing. Um, so I would be a little bit uh, troubled by that. But also, if you're an Eagle fan, Carson Wentz made just enough plays to get the win here, 34 points on the road at Lambeau. You win as a four-and-a-half-point underdog. If you're a gambler out there, the over hits with ease and uh, the, uh, the Eagles cover with relative ease. I do think from a strategic perspective, one of the questions that's particularly fascinating is the degree of time, number of times that teams now go for it, which is something I've just got to get used to because I still think it seems really kind of strange. The number of times that teams go for two when they score to go up seven and uh, this happened with the uh, with the Eagles and almost, I think, on some level, kind of came back to bite them there at the end of the game when the Packers had a chance to score. I, I still, in my head, think having an eight-point lead, which obviously is a touchdown and a two-point conversion, feels like a lot more than having a seven-point lead. But the number of teams that when they have a guaranteed seven-point lead do not kick the extra point and go for two instead – is becoming a uh, a big part of this league, and so uh, the the Eagles didn't get that. But uh, I understand the argument of, hey, if you get the nine, you got a two score lead, but eight still seems like a lot more than seven to me. Maybe I'm just an old man and don't get these new AJ analytics, uh, but uh, but that is obviously becoming a bigger and bigger part of the NFL uh, storyline in terms of the number of teams that are going for two in those situations. All right, uh, those would be the big takeaways that I have. Loaded show for you. Let me tell you where we're headed today. Uh, my guy Lance Taylor, I, I this guy's been on a tear from a gambling perspective. He does uh, Jocks Radio 94.5, but he's 21 and three in his last 24 college football picks. Uh, And he was 2-0 last night. We're going to talk with him, see if his hot streak has gone to his head about everything coming up in the weekend in the NFL and in college football. Then we got Alex Marvez, who is our NFL insider. We'll find out what's shaking with uh, uh, with Jalen Ramsey. Uh, What are the other storylines that we should be aware of as we head into uh, the weekend? And then Joel Klatt will join us. I believe he's in Oklahoma for the Sooner game. Uh, he will join us in hour three. It's the uh, big noon game that Joel Klatt will be calling on Fox. So we will discuss all that. Uh, one bit of props, too. Got to give props to my guy, Cousin Sal, who went almost full Lee Corso in his pregame prediction, if you happen to see it. He's on uh, Lock It In with me uh, every single day. He did the Lambo leap, and then he was uh, in, the, uh, in the end zone with Packer fans giving his prediction on what he thought was going to happen in the game. He picked the Eagles 24-21 with all the Packer fans uh, sitting around him cheering, and then rapidly jumped out of the uh, jumped out of the, the the seats and sprinted away as the fans reacted with uh, with dismay when he made the pick of the Eagles surrounded by all the Packer fans. So uh, all of that going on last night. Let me see what the crew thought, what their takeaways from last night's game was. Uh, what about you, uh, Danny G? I'll start with you. The Eagles go on the road, get a massive win, get to 2-2 two and two in the NFC East, and the Packers can't get to 4-0 in the NFC North. And as a result, we got a little bit more interesting divisional race in both of those NFC divisions.
2: Yeah, and let me start with Cousin Sal because I did see that. I thought they were going to take his head off. Yeah, <laughs>
3: that, that was, was pretty great.
2: It was really good. Um, so the game went as close to what I thought – as possible eagles would cover in a close one i said yesterday but i thought the packers would win a high scoring game by a field goal they probably should have won that game with those two goal line stances by the eagles you got to give the defense credit but what hurt the packers a lot was Devontae adams not being on the field there halfway through the fourth quarter Came out with that hurt toe. He had 10 catches, 180 yards. Adams was just a complete stud for the Packers. A
3: lot of people out there, by the way, in uh, fantasy football that are going to lose their battle if you had the misfortune to be going up against Devontae Adams. Although he didn't have any touchdowns, he still was uh, – those numbers are ridiculous.
2: Yep, and then the other standout player besides the quarterbacks, Howard, rushing the ball for the Eagles. You mentioned the Eagles' running attack. That really hurt the Packers' defense all night. The reviews in this game, wanted to ask you what you thought about the pass interference calls or non-calls because after watching the game, I still don't know what pass interference is. Now, the broadcast team pointed out that at least the reviews have been somewhat consistent, but when they slow it down, you're like, okay, that's pass interference. Because the guy, I, th- will,
3: I think that it's a calculated decision by the NFL to just say we're not hardly ever going to change the call. Yeah.
2: So if it seems like a bang bang type play, they're just not going to call I, it.
3: I think they may take this out of the game. God, I, mean, they, they, I hope they do. They basically have, I think, by the way they've called it, tried to and tried to basically let coaches know, hey, if you throw a flag, it we're probably not going to change the call on the field. So I know that they made the decision to allow it to be challengeable. And they just must be looking for the most egregious. Because I saw the, the data like 16% of the time or, or or something like that, they've overturned pass interference calls, which is a really, really low percentage. So, um, you know, they're basically telling coaches don't risk this in terms of making that decision. But uh, but I, I think it's kind of been a mess, honestly. Uh, I almost uh, – I feel like, first of all, they've clearly dialed back the number of holding calls they're going to make. Those dropped by like 50% after last week's Thursday night football game in the first half that was almost unwatchable because they called so many different penalties. And uh, And I think they've dialed that back in general. Um, but I would say the, the I'm less troubled by pass interference in the NFL right now, and I still think uh, roughing the passer is the one that I look at and think, my God, and I understand the importance certainly this year of all years because of all the injuries of protecting quarterbacks, but I still think if you're a defensive player, it's hard to know when you can hit the quarterback and when you can't. I think that's the biggest challenge that's existing in NFL games right now. Dub, your takeaway, what did you uh, What did you pick up uh, in last night? By the way, the game was fantastic. We talk a lot about sometimes Thursday night football not being great, and we should mention this. And I think it's worth discussing uh, at some point in the show. There's a uh, proposal out there to eliminate the NFL preseason uh, and potentially as part of the new collective bargaining agreement between owners and players and potentially do away with all four weeks of the NFL preseason games completely and just go with a 17th game overall, uh, expand the NFL season by one game and in the process knock out the entire NFL preseason. I love that idea. And uh, as part of that, uh, I think there's also the idea of adding a second bye week. And if they added a second bye week, to me, this is a no-brainer. Put it every single time before a team plays a Thursday night football game. Because then I think our Thursday night football games, you'd have both teams coming in with a week of freshness. You know, in other words, instead of having to play on Sunday and Thursday, you would play Sunday, get a whole week off. And then you come back and you play on a Thursday, and then you get more extra days of rest. To me, that's a no brainer, and I hope it's a part of the new collective bargaining agreement. Having said that, the injury rate has not been higher on Thursday. It's primarily been a lower quality of play, but the quality of play last night was pretty fantastic. That was a great Thursday night football game.
4: Yeah, it was an awesome game. Great matchup, two great quarterbacks, two good teams. You know, one thing that stood out to me, Danny G mentioned it was the pass interference stuff. I mean, some of those challenges, especially the Doug Peterson one. I mean, he basically just threw away a challenge and a timeout. There was no yeah. way that was going to get overturned just based on what we've we've seen this season. But one thing about the Packers that I would be, you know, a little concerned about is their second half scoring this season. They've scored 61 first half points through their first four games and only 20 second half points. Yeah. So, I'm not sure if it's you know, the play calling takes a dip in the second half of these games or if the defense starts picking up on things. But that would definitely be something that I'd be a little bit concerned about if I'm a Green Bay fan,
3: yeah, I think that's worth noting. And they actually were a little bit better. I know they got stopped on the 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 goal line situations a couple times, but they actually were better in the second half of this game than they were in the second half of any of the earlier games uh, in the season so far. I mean, the the method of the Packer season so far has been, other than this game, come out, get a big lead early, which is what they did in the first three weeks of the season, and then kind of withstand a late challenge by whoever you're playing against. Uh, really, uh, the uh, the win tonight, I just think it was a massive win for the Eagles in the grand scheme of things. Everything was a against them. They've had so many injuries. To go on the road in that tough of an environment and get a win I think signals that the Eagles, even if the Cowboys end up winning the NFC East, and that may well happen, we'll see what happens. Uh, but even if the Cowboys end up winning the NFC East, I think the Eagles are letting you know, hey, we're going to be in this wild card race uh, to come come to assuming that Carson wins stays healthy, with is always a, a big caveat given his past history that the Eagles are actually going to be in the mix all season. What about you, Eddie Garcia? What did you notice? I was shocked at how poor the Packers' run defense yeah. was. It was atrocious. Uh, I mean, running backs not being touched until they get five yards, that's unacceptable. I thought the play calling late um, by Matt LaFleur was pretty poor. I don't know what they were doing on that one play where Rodgers kind of rolled out to his left and
1: then just kind of threw it. Like I, well, I don't know what that was. And then they had the one play where they split Jimmy Graham out to the right. He had a mismatch on this smaller corner. They threw it up, and it almost hit. And then they never
3: tried it again. I thought, I'd, I'd run that same play again. I mean, it was so close to working the first time. But
1: I, I the play calling, I, w- I wasn't really a, a big fan of.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's an, it's an interesting question, right? Because they put the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hand and gave him an option to win the game. And given that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, I can see the, the thought process, which is, if you take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hand, everybody immediately, and you and you don't have success, I mean, run the ball in any way, everybody immediately yelps, why in the world uh, are you taking the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hand? But I thought it was somewhat similar, not as bad, with Freddie Kitchens at the end of the game situation, I guess it was Sunday Night Football, right? When they ran four straight pass plays and they went no back with Baker Mayfield. So and, and never up, targeted Odell Beckham on any of those either. Yeah, right. But you're going up against Wade Phillips, who is a defensive genius. And when you go no back behind Baker Mayfield, while you may have confidence in Baker Mayfield's ability to throw, you're taking away any run option. Unless, to be fair, unless to be fair, there's some sort of wrinkle where Baker Mayfield runs a design quarterback sneak out of the empty set backfield, right? But in general. I think you probably want to take your chances if you're the Rams. If Baker Mayfield's going to run it in, okay, like that's probably not going to happen, but we'll try and make sure that we guard against that a little bit. But you'll let uh, Wade Phillips know that he can drop everybody back and try to just play defense in that scenario. And I felt to a certain extent like we got a little bit of that down the stretch with the Packers where as good as Aaron Rodgers is, you know that he's trying to throw it, and there's just not as much ground to cover there and so you take away one of the defense's worries. Uh, all right, when we come back, uh, we've got Lance Taylor scheduled to join us. We'll talk about what he thought uh, from this game and also what he thinks about the weekend to come in college football and the NFL, as I said. He's a cocky right now. He's 21-3 and in his last 24 gambling picks, including 2-0. It's a hell of a run. I'd like to get on one of those runs. Uh, in Hour 2, Alex Marvez will join us, and in Hour 3, we'll have Joel Klatt Loaded show coming for you, getting you ready for the NFL Week 4 and college football Week 5. By the way, big win by the Memphis Tigers last night over Navy. That was also a really entertaining college football game if you were like me, kind of flipping back and forth some uh, on both of those games last night. Appreciate all of you. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m.
0: Pacific. slash sports. Tire the way tire buying should be.
1: Hello, this is Carol Hunter, executive editor of
3: the Des Moines Register. I'm out of the office until Monday, September 9th. If this is an urgent matter, please call the Metro Iowa desk. Thank you. The idiot who made the decision to look into a 16-year-old's tweets hasn't managed to update her voicemail in three weeks. Just, I'm all... Asking for a little bit of confidence, Carol Hunter. Just a little bit. Could you manage at some point to update the fact that it's now, what is it, September 26th or thereabouts, 27th? It's way after when you. Can we play that again? I mean, come on. I know it's not going to shock you that the Des Moines Register, which made the decision to go look into this 16 year old's tweets when he'd raised millions of dollars in charity for Iowa Children's Hospital, I know it's not going to shock you that she's so incompetent she can't even work her voicemail. But can we play that one more time? I mean, it is almost the end of September. Is it too much to ask to get it fixed? Here we go.
1: Hello, this is Carol Hunter, Executive Editor of the Des
3: Moines Register. I'm out of the office until Monday, September 9th. If this is an urgent matter, please call the Metro Iowa desk. Thank you. You're in media, and you can't update your dang voicemail for nearly a month? This is the kind of loser move that I would expect from a loser newspaper with a loser editor with an idiot editorial staff that made the decision to run an article about a 16-year-old's tweets when he's raising millions of dollars for a local Iowa hospital. Will any of them have the balls to come on my show and defend their decision, or will they keep hiding and hoping that this story is just going to go away? I've made a $5,000 donation to the Iowa Children's Hospital. I'm going to put up the link later to allow you guys to donate as well. But I think people in positions of prominence, like this idiot woman who can't manage to update her voicemail, should be held accountable when they make stupid decisions. And I think they should have to answer to people. So they probably won't come on my show, although I appreciate all of you tweeting them from 1460 AM where we're on in Des Moines. But I do think that when I've got a big bully pulpit like this, and you decide like they did to go after a college kid and rip him and make him hold a press conference to deal with tweets that he sent years and years ago that these editors should have to come on and answer questions about why they decided to take the kid down the path that they did. I really do. In the meantime, welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Let me go ahead and bring in Alex Marvez. Alex, what's up, my man? What'd you think of last night's win? How massive was it for the Eagles?
1: Huge for the Philadelphia Eagles. They got balance on offense as well, rushing the football effectively. Haven't had two running backs over seventy yards since all the way back in two thousand and sixteen. How about this? Aaron Rodgers was fifty-eight, zero and one, in his career when his team had a ten-point lead at home. Wow. And now he is fifty-eight, one and one. Also an amazing stat on this one. How about this? When they were inside the three-yard line, Aaron Rodgers sixty-four and zero. Essentially, he put them on the scoreboard at some point when they were that close, and instead he wasn't able to get the job done in the final seconds last night, getting intercepted, and great game. I mean, great for the NFL, right? Thursday night ratings, huge. So, yeah, it was good, and I'm I'm surprised, honestly. Philadelphia just seemed like a team that was, you know, so beat up short week. In fact, R.J. Bell, our good friend, uh, you know, obviously does some work at Fox Sports Radio, said 70% chance Packers were going to win short week at home, Usually you take that the home team, especially when it's a non-division matchup and there isn't that same familiarity between two teams, and that's why I don't gamble, Clay, because I would have lost a lot of money last night had I placed a wager on that contest.
3: I do gamble, and I've lost a lot of money over the years. But last <laughs> night I had the Eagles and I had the over, so I went 2-0 and there. Ooh. Also had Carson Wentz to throw a touchdown pass. Missed. I got, th- I went 3-1 last night. I missed on the Packers to have a first-half lead, which they almost did. Uh, Aaron Rodgers gets hit and fumbles there uh, late with about two minutes to go, and then there's still two touchdowns scored after that. Uh, but uh, but I thought uh, the game was really outstanding. I mean, just a really, really good Thursday night. Now, I want to get your, your, uh, your impressions on this before we get into the actual games that are going on this weekend. Reports that the NFL uh, owners and the players are potentially negotiating the idea of a 17-game season, which would eliminate the preseason – um what are your thoughts on that idea
1: uh i mean look it's it's really uh, it's interesting because it's not it'll be interesting to see ultimately with the players themselves how long this collective bargaining agreement is because it's funny you know you think about it, it the last time they did this it was a 10-year labor agreement right play like how many of those guys who were involved in labor negotiations you know are still around right here we are 10 years later right so you're setting it up For the future, and are there future players that feel differently than the current veterans? I mean, do people feel 16 is enough? 18 is really long. 17, perhaps, is more palpable to the NFL Players Association, even though they have steadfastly said, due to player safety issues, they don't want to do this. Players haven't expressed an interest in going to 17 games. And really, for veteran players, who cares about the preseason? They don't care if there's games because they don't play in them anyway. Right? Yeah, I mean I I
3: would I would say I can see an argument being made. First of all, fans hate the preseason, right? And the preseason I think gets harder and harder to defend the more and more there are substantial other entertainment options out there. It just feels like a slog to have to watch your team. You're just hoping people don't get hurt. But I would say the average player probably plays one full game. Like if let's use Tom Brady as an example. If you add up the snaps over the course of the preseason, he probably plays one full game. And I understand a lot of coaches are now making the decision, especially the younger ones, to completely sit out all of their starters in these uh, in these preseason games, which I think makes it even more of an indictment that they exist. But I think if you contemplate and think from the perspective of, okay, owners and players have their arguments, but I think a huge percentage of fans out there that are listening to me right now, if they added a 17th game and added another bye week and put that bye week in before Thursday night football, Therefore, adding up the overall, bumping up the overall quality of play there because players would have time to get healthy instead of having to turn around and play Sunday to Thursday. I think just about everybody out there who's listening to me right now would like that switch in the schedule, right? To me, it's kind of crazy that they play a 16-game schedule with only one bye week anyway. I think a lot of players would probably appreciate a second bye week before that Thursday night game and the additional bump up in salary, particularly if you give them more time off in the offseason and don't require them to come back as early because you're not playing four preseason games anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could see that sort of argument as well. I mean, but again, it's really on the players, right? And, and how are they going to try to leverage this from the NFL? What is the NFL going to give them? Are they going to give them more percentage of gross revenue? I think that's I the mean, argument. Right. I mean, that that's the whole thing. How much are these owners going to give up in exchange for this sort of thing? Uh, you know, So I agree with you. And listen, the NFL's talked about it before internally about do you how far back do you want to push the Super Bowl? Are we yeah. talking about potential President's Day weekend? That's what I would do.
3: I would put it yeah. on President's Day weekend so the Super Bowl is before for people out there in late February so that President's Day weekend becomes basically an NFL Super Bowl holiday where Sunday – I know not everybody gets President's Day off. Most people don't. But I think it would become more of a national holiday, honestly – if President's Day was the day after the Super Bowl.
1: And remember, too, these owners are trying to maximize, you know, Roger Goodell, this is his swan song probably as NFL commissioner in terms of collective bargaining agreement. Is he going to really be around in another 10 years, you know, leading another labor pact? I mean, the owners, they're looking to cash in as much as they can right now. They realize how much television revenues are about to skyrocket due to legalized gambling and the way, you know, people are going to be wagering on games and how, you know, because of that, more eyeballs are going to be tuned to TV sets until the very end, even in blowouts, because they want to know, is a is point spread going to, you know, are we going to cover? Are we going to go over, under? All of those things that, that go with, you know, gambling are going to cause people to have their eyeballs on the screen more because you're going to expand your gambling audience. You add more games, you're talking, again, one of the most lucrative television packages you could possibly get. Networks are desperate. They need to try to keep traditional viewing audiences. It's difficult because of the fragmentation of, of entertainment options like you've talked about you can do so many different things and watch professional football and so that being said I can see 17 games to talk about it but again the players have to be all in on this and that's something that I just don't know if they are or not
3: all right let's go into the actual NFL news what in the world's happening with Jalen Ramsey now
1: uh, really, this one, and it was taught, it was thought out, look, when you have Tony Khan, who is my pro-wrestling boss at All Elite Wrestling, but when you have him come out publicly and defend Jalen Ramsey, I think that'll tell you what the temperature is in Jacksonville. They want to keep Jalen Ramsey. I don't know if Tom Coughlin wants to keep Jalen Ramsey, but I just don't think team ownership wants to let, you know, one of the top players in football just walk out their door. I mean, Jalen Ramsey is special. Size, speed, his ability to, to smother any opposing wide receiver. This isn't just a player you go out... And replace there are very few Jalen Ramseys out there, and the jags truly covet the guy you know so that being said, Jalen may want to get out i mean he you know he had the back, the flu, all of those types of things earlier in the week, but the jaguars are are really going you know above and beyond to just make sure that they that they let Jalen Ramsey know okay, look, we support you through this. Now, of course, you'd love to say if they throw boatloads of money at him, is that the easiest way to show their support for Jalen Ramsey? And I think inevitably that will end up happening. But again, you know, look, does the guy scorch earth on his way out of town? Does he do something like not come back for paternity leave, right? And we're talking three, four weeks. Well, then maybe the whole uh, tenor of this could change. But for right now, Jalen Ramsey staying with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't see a trade as being imminent.
3: Uh, all right, uh, that's crazy in and of itself. Um, what about, let's go into the actual on-the-field-related product. How stunned were you by how good Daniel Jones was? I know it was only one game, but to bring his team back from a 28-10 to 10 deficit, to do it without Saquon Barkley for most of that time, I mean, he
1: was truly incredible. He really was. And, you know, it's interesting, the, the Bucs strategy. Instead of blitzing the heck out of him like they did to Cam Newton in Week 2, they dropped guys back. They, they you know, pretty much had four-man coverages and just said, okay, Daniel Jones, you're going to have to figure out the defense. And he did as the game went on. I, I mean, that was an incredible performance. And look, the other thing, too, he can move. That's it. I mean, his mobility is it's such a difference in Eli, right? With Eli, it's a sitting duck. You know exactly where Eli Manning is going to be on every pass play not with Daniel Jones. And I think that you got to give the guy a lot of credit for that. But it's interesting. Play, if Matt Gay makes a 34-yard field goal, yep. we're not talking about the greatness of Daniel Jones, right? I mean, it becomes a secondary story. Yeah, the guy was good, but his team lost. You know, and the Giants are 0-3. But because the kid misses a field goal, we're sitting here lavishing praise upon Daniel Jones. And I imagine it continues this week because the Washington Redskins come into town. They are dreadful.
3: They are truly dreadful. Lines two and a half. I'm on the Giants in that one. Okay, what about... Uh... What about what's going on in Buffalo? The Bills are 3-0. and Is this smoke and mirrors? The Patriots are coming to town. They're seven-point favorite. Patriots have not given up a defensive touchdown yet, uh, which is crazy three weeks into the season. What do you anticipate in this game?
1: Oh, I'm anticipating the Patriots win. I'm also anticipating it to be closer than a lot of the contests have been. You realize Tom Brady has beaten the Buffalo Bills 30 times. Well, it's a great stat.
3: Brady has more wins since two thousand in the uh, the Bills football stadium
1: than any Bills quarterback. Isn't that amazing? Yes, Uh, it's it's remarkable. Sixty nine career touchdown passes against Buffalo. He's won five straight games. I think the thing is, and and Bill Polian, you know, agrees with me on this one. That you know, Josh Allen just isn't probably ready yet to take that step. And, And you know, these young quarterbacks against Belichick defenses, they struggle. And this is, you know, we talk about Tom Brady a lot, obviously, but. This Patriots defense, I mean, the first team in Super Bowl era not to allow a rushing or passing touchdown in the first three games of a season. They're the first team since the 1962 Green Bay Packers to not allow any first-half points in their first three games. I mean, you know, obviously Brady's going to get all the attention, but this is a defense for the ages right now. And I just don't think that Josh Allen at this point in his career and the weapons that they've assembled in Buffalo are good enough to win this one. Devin Singletary also being out there, rookie third-round pick from FAU, the running back play, that's a biggie because Frank Gore is not a home run hitter. Singletary is. His absence on, on Sunday because of a hamstring injury will be huge. But I'm just wondering what they're going to throw on the field.
3: <laughs> I gotta be careful. I don't know what we can say, but yeah, there's some interesting props out there about this. Uh, maybe some uh, what will we say? Some accoutrements to make your uh, your sex life a little bit more fun. Um, I, 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 I don't. I honestly don't know if we can say that word. Uh, the brave, the Browns and the Ravens um, uh, are uh, going to town here, right? Uh, the Browns are one and two. They couldn't get it done against the Rams. And now the Ravens, we'll see what happens. I think they got exposed a little bit. Uh, If Lamar Jackson gets behind, this Ravens attack is not nowhere near as good. Do the Browns have the firepower to go on the road and beat the Ravens?
1: Well, they have the firepower. The question is, is Baker Mayfield going to get it to them? I mean, in the right fashion. This is interesting. He leads the NFL and throws into double coverage. (laughs) That's a great stat. I can not believe they have that stat. 6.4% of his throws are into double coverage. That's not good. That'll tell you that he's not really effectively reading defenses and he's getting by on arm talent. And that's, well, you know, Freddie Kitchens and, and his staff have to clean that up. And you just you saw, you know, I just think that it's interesting because we, we didn't really talk about that in the offseason. Yeah, I know his offensive line is, is bad. And when they got exposed against the L.A. Rams, I mean, when I say bad, they're just not very good, okay? It's, you know, you worry about Baker Mayfield having time to throw. But when we, we came into the season, nobody was really questioning Baker Mayfield himself. Yep. We question the offensive line. We question Freddie Kitchens, not Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield has a lot of growing up to do. And going on the road, he does traditionally have success, you know, throwing the ball in terms of yardage against the Ravens. And it's a Ravens team right now that is really struggling to generate pass rush. In fact, John Harbaugh earlier this week saying, Titus Howard, Tim Williams, your, your reps are up for grabs. If we could find somebody else that could pressure the quarterback, you're out. But I'm with you on the fact that the Ravens, if they fall behind, like the Chiefs, and I would assume the Patriots as well because they put up points, you know, those are bad matchups. Because, again, we don't know if this offense is built to come from behind. When the Ravens play with a lead, they usually win. And that's what we're seeing under Lamar Jackson. Anticipate the same thing to happen on Sunday.
3: Uh, another game that I think is intriguing, by the way, we're talking to Alex Marvez. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Alex Marvez. Joins us every single Friday, an hour or two. Chiefs going on the road against the Lions. The Lions gave up a 24-6 to lead against the uh, Arizona Cardinals. If they don't do that, then we're sitting around saying, man, the Lions are 3-0, and you know, and the Chiefs <laughs> uh, obviously have the ability to score on anybody. It's in a dome. I love the over in this game. I think there'll be some offensive p- pyrotechnics. Do the Lions have the horses to take care of the Chiefs, or do you see the Chiefs just running wild on them?
1: It's interesting. I don't see the Chiefs running wild on the Lions, and I give a lot of credit to Matt Patricia just because I think that he's a really good strategist. The problem you have for the Lions, though, if they don't have Darius Slake, their top corner, who's got a hamstring issue, and if they don't have Snacks Harrison in the interior of their defensive line, he's got a leg problem. That's not good <laughs> against the Chiefs. I mean, it, you know, especially Slay because he is, you know, a shutdown caliber corner, and, and that's not a guy that's easy to replace. And, but, you know, the Lions on, at home, again, I just like what they're doing defensively right now. They've done a solid job the past couple of weeks against quarterbacks. You know, the Chiefs, of course, they've set an NFL record 25 games and counting with 25 or more points. Nobody has slowed down the Kansas City Chiefs yet. I think the Chiefs beat the Lions. But I think they get slowed down. And one thing that, that I point to as well, like last year the Lions played the Rams. And remember the Rams came in with that offense the way it was rolling? And the Lions unveiled something that the Patriots – took advantage of and used in the Super Bowl, they started putting up a lot of guys on the outside of the tackles because the Rams love to hit the edges, and and the Rams really didn't have a good answer to it. They're still trying to find ways to attack that type of defensive look. They got some of that from Cleveland last week. Well, I just think Matt Patricia is innovative enough that there's going to be something that he's going to throw at Patrick Mahomes that's going to slow them down. But do the Lions have enough firepower to keep up with Mahomes? Probably not. I don't know about over on this one, but I do expect a competitive game.
3: What about Cowboys? Uh, they are going on the road trying to go to 4-0. and The Cowboys have beaten teams that are a combined 1-8 and so far, and even the one win came without Daniel Jones playing, who obviously was the difference maker in the Giants win over the Bucks. Cowboys going on the road against Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints. What's going to happen in this
1: one? Well, I, you know, the, the one thing, that, it's Alvin Kamara. I mean, he's the key to this game because, you know, Kamara last week got on track nine uh, receptions, 92 yards and a touchdown, 16 rushes for 69 yards. Clay, he touched the football 25 out of New Orleans' 50 offensive snaps. I mean, they knew that they needed to lean on Kamara because, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is okay as a quarterback, but he's not dynamic like Drew Brees. So if the Cowboys are able to shut down Alvin Kamara, they will win this game. I mean, you know, look, Cowboys offensively are going to score some points, but that's Superdome, man. It It is an animal unto itself. It is going to be a true challenge for the Cowboys to be able to move the football. I think they win this one. I don't think they would win if Drew Brees were playing quarterback for the Saints.
3: Outstanding stuff as always. Congratulations, by the way, on the Gators win over the Vols. I don't even know that you should get congratulated on that because it happens so frequently, but uh, but it was ridiculous.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Clay. The Vols offense is, is dreadful, just, just dreadful. Just dreadful, oh indeed.
3: I uh, appreciate the time. That's Alex Marvez. When we come back, I'll pull the crew. Pick one college football or one NFL game to tell everybody. It's going to be great. Put it on your calendar. Which game would you pick as we roll into the weekend? We will tell you, this is OutKick on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Joel Klatt joins us now. He's in Norman, Oklahoma, getting ready for the Sooners big game, which he'll be calling on Fox. Joel, for a minute, I thought you had the uh, Ohio State traveling to Nebraska game. So uh, a big whiff from me there. But do you think, I'll start with that one, do you think Nebraska's good enough to,
4: uh, to give Ohio State a run? No, I think Ohio State's really an exceptional team this year. I think that they're better than they've been in a long time and uh, I think that uh, Nebraska is still struggling to find their footing a little bit under Scott Frost, so I think this one could get uh, a little bit ugly for Nebraska. Uh, Ohio State is really, really good, Uh, and I think they're one of the teams. I think there's probably seven, maybe eight teams that now I think are are good enough to potentially win a national championship this year. I think we've got more parity at the top than we have in a long time, and Ohio State's certainly one of those teams. How's the hotel in Norman? it's a lot better (laughs) oh gosh I gotta tell you traveling around if you travel as much as I do you just start to hate hotels yeah it is the way it is
3: no I I know the feeling trust me so uh in all honesty with Jalen Hurts and the way he has played so far if Oklahoma were to put him in the Heisman race again Shouldn't we just rename the Heisman Trophy Lincoln-Riley? I mean, just the Lincoln-Riley, because that would be unprecedented to go Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts, all one-year starters with Lincoln-Riley, to have him win the Heisman Trophy with all three would be, I mean, there's nothing, literally, it's unprecedented. There's nothing else like it that we've ever seen.
4: Well, Baker actually played for three years. Right, but but
3: uh, how many years was he the starting quarterback for Lincoln-Riley?
4: well three because lincoln was the offensive coordinator right right the but then as, as the head
3: as the head coach did not he have him for as, one year as a head coach
4: yes as a head coach he had him for one year uh that was his first year as a head coach so, so that's crazy um, right
3: that you would be a head coach for three years and that you would have three different guys who potentially could win
4: the heisman trophy yeah i mean and and they're all so different too that's what's so crazy about this is that like We had never seen the level of efficiency um, and, and 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 explosiveness, the combination from Baker Mayfield that we've seen. Then, then all of a sudden, Kyler Murray comes around, and we've never seen a guy throw for 300 yards on average and run it for 60 on average. That's the first time that ever happened. And by the way, Kyler set the efficiency mark even past where Baker did. And now all of a sudden, Jalen Hurts is out here, and he's doing things that those guys never did, which is just incredible. He's got 13 total touchdowns nine passing, four rushing, and he's got only 12 incompletions on the season. I mean, Clay, that's, that's insane. He's second in the country in completion percentage. He leads the nation in yards per attempt at almost 15. It's two more yards than the next closest player, which is Joe Burrow. I mean, just to give you some sense, his yards per completion or yards per attempt at, at Alabama was 7.9. He's thrown for 14.4 right now. I know that those numbers, like, maybe they don't do anything for you, but it, it's just, it, it really is amazing what this offense can do regardless of who's running it. And, and Kyler was very different than Baker, and Jalen is very different than Kyler and Baker, um, and it morphs, and yet it's still as explosive and as powerful as we've ever seen.
3: Can anybody other than Texas beat uh, Oklahoma in the Big 12?
4: Well, I think that the Big Twelve is actually pretty interesting because when you look at the middle of the Big Twelve, I I, I actually think that the middle of the Big Twelve is is fairly dangerous. Um, for instance, right? Like, I think that the middle and and lower tier of the ACC is horrendous. Yeah. So, I don't think that Clemson has any shot to lose. They're going to go thirteen and zero. No doubt about it. Whereas Oklahoma and Texas, by the way, who I think is really good. If they have an off week, like I think that they can get beat. Oklahoma State is a really good team. Uh, Kansas State, I know people don't like to hear that because that's a boring brand, but Kansas State is a pretty good team. They're ranked uh, this week. I think that uh, Iowa State is a team that can beat you if you're having an off week. Um, this Texas Tech team, granted they don't have their starting quarterback, but they're a team that can score a lot of points. You, you've got some team. TCU is a team that I think can beat you if you're not having a, a, a great week. Um, I, I think that the middle of this conference can be scary if you don't play your best. And and because of that, I think it's going to be really tough for one of these teams, either Oklahoma or Texas, to run the table. Uh, so we'll see what their playoff chances are like at the end of the year.
3: What do you think about your boy Harbaugh?
4: Well, I, I think that he is, I think Michigan's the most disappointing team in the country so far. Um, and I think that this change in philosophy, the last five games since the loss to Ohio State, I think that I think that Jim panicked and, and I think that this move and this, this shift in philosophy offensively has been uh, a total bust for them, and it has caused them to become a much worse team. I think up until that game last year at Ohio State, I would have argued with you, and and I still think I would have been correct that, like, your whole overrated assumption was totally false. But now, um, I don't know if I would call it overrate, overrated, but it's certainly disappointing. Um, you know, what, what's going on at Michigan? And, and there's something in me just doesn't see the same sense of urgency and fire from Jim that we saw in the first couple of years. He used to have that, that saying, you know, we're going to attack the day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. And that's not there anymore. Uh, You know, that enthusiasm is not there anymore. So Michigan is is a team that, candidly, is not very good right now. Their offensive line is is really bad. Their wide receivers don't play very well, even though they're, they're a talented group. And their defense just gave up 359 yards on the ground to Wisconsin while they ran for 40. That's insane.
3: So do you think, uh, how does this thing play out itself out then with Harbaugh? Because he's at year five, and while I call him the most overrated coach in college football history, I'm not saying he's an awful coach, right? Like, I mean, I feel good about him getting eight, nine wins a year for Michigan, uh, although I do think that they've begun a decline, that at some point they peaked and like maybe Harbaugh burned so bright that he's burned some people off. How does this play out? Let's presume that Michigan, who I think it's fair to say right now, if you were projecting, would finish around 8-4 and this year, right? I mean, and maybe lose to Ohio State for a fifth year. How does that play itself out? Is Jim Harbaugh back for a sixth year? They're not going to fire him, but does he want to stay? Is he throwing up his hands and saying, I guess it's not going to work? I mean, what is the resolution in your mind of the Michigan-Harbaugh experience?
4: I I think that's a really good question. I think that... I I don't know if he would be – let's just put it this way. I don't know if they would fire him um, because I I do believe that that's a big number for them, even Michigan, Um, and I think that he's the type that would probably walk before then anyways. And I would just tell you – if I had to bet any amount of money, I would bet that he's not the coach
3: next year. Yes, and if and if I had told you that a year ago, would you have thought it was crazy that Harbaugh would walk after year
4: five? I would have told you it was insane, insane. Now I'm not. I have no information on that. That's just like what I feel right now. You know, um, but we'll see. Here's here's the other part of this though. We're all freaking out. They are still pretty talented. They've played terrible football. They lost early last year and then ended up playing Ohio State when they were ten and one. You know, so that very well could happen as well. But like I said, they have not shown anything that tells me like, oh, don't worry about Michigan. They'll be fine. They'll be ten and one when they play Ohio State. But they are a one-loss team. They are are very talented, and they certainly have the ability to to rattle off some wins here. So I, I don't want to totally freak out.
3: Yeah, I would say this too. It doesn't seem like the powers that be at Michigan have Harbaugh's back aggressively. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, sometimes guys are really well connected with all the big boosters, with all the people who are high profile in the program it doesn't seem like Harbaugh has done that glad handling, right? And he certainly hasn't won enough where he can be like Nick Saban and just say, hey, I don't care about any of you guys. I'm going to ignore all of you. My job is just to win football games. Is that fair to say Harbaugh's personality is not a glad handling, like Mac Brown-like, for, for lack of a better way of describing it, politician kissing babies like everybody loves him who's around that program?
4: Well, I think he definitely has a different personality. There's no doubt rather than the, the, the warm and fuzzy, you know, you bring up Mac Brown. He certainly does that incredibly well. Uh, having said that though, I mean, they, they hitched their wagon to, to Jim Harbaugh a long time ago. You know, he was and, and is considered maybe not anymore, but kind of like the savior of the program, you know, to where they were at. Remember they were winning six and a half games per year under Rodriguez and Hoke. Yes. And and that was, I mean, so th- to think that they're still like, wow, Michigan still can't get out. They, they have absolutely been relevant. They've been in the top 10 and top five constantly in the last couple of years. So he's done a, a really good job of getting them back to that point. But this certainly is concerning, the way that they're playing, this change in philosophy to this new offense. Josh Gattis has been, I mean, I don't want to overstate it. He has been overwhelmed early as a first-time play caller, um, and this this offensive system has not been cohesive at all so far. Um, so you, you ask about just like the overall sentiment. I think that people are frustrated around Michigan, but at the same time, remember now when when the prodigal son doesn't work, where do you go? Yeah, you know where where do you turn? So. I don't think that there's a lot of clamoring of people like, we've got to change, because I don't know where they would go if, if they wanted to make a change.
3: We're talking to Joel Klatt. He's got the call tomorrow on the Oklahoma game. Who's the best team in the SEC in your mind? There's a lot of contenders right now, right? You could argue Georgia after the win over Notre Dame. You could argue Alabama, although they really haven't been challenged so far. But Tua is just playing out of his mind Uh, and you could certainly argue LSU because Joe Burrow and Tua might well be meeting in Tuscaloosa in November and whoever plays the best in that game could be your Heisman Trophy winner I mean there are at least three I don't really buy into Auburn although they might have the two best wins in college football so far with Oregon and with A&M and I don't really buy into Florida either but there's a there's five teams in the top nine who is the best team in your mind
4: I would all, I would agree with you almost wholeheartedly on everything that you just said, which makes you so um, sick to
3: your stomach, doesn't it?
4: It it does it does. I think Florida is definitely a pretender. Yeah, um, I, you know they're four zero, and that's all that's all well and good. And and they're going to have a really good record at the end of the year. They're going to hover, but they're not there is nothing about what florida has done that would tell me that they're going to challenge georgia for the sec east Agreed. now that side of, of the conference is really weak so again wins and losses they're going to be fine but i just don't think that they're a i don't even by All- the way
3: think they're the second best team in the sec east i think that's missouri a lot of people stopped paying attention to missouri because they had a tough loss to begin the season on the road that's right against that's right. Uh, against wyoming they got run a bunch of big plays hit them But I think they're actually pretty good. I think they'll beat Florida, and I think Missouri will be the second best team in the East.
4: Yeah, that's very possible, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. Auburn. Here's the thing about Auburn's. You know, everyone says like they've got the two most impressive wins. I don't really know what Texas A and M is. I really don't. They haven't beaten a Power Five team yet, Um, and I think that they're good, but they haven't proven it. Texas A and M is going to be a five loss team. You know they're going to be seven and five pretty easily. (laughs) It's a brutal schedule, but yes, we don't really know schedule. And so if they're, let's say they're seven and five, and they don't have a win over a team that's a power five team that has a winning record, like what are they at the end? Are they ranked? Certainly not, right?
3: Yeah, I, I, I probably not. Although you can argue that it's pretty tough. So I got to go quickly here. But who do you think's the best?
4: Okay, so the best, I, I would still say it's Alabama because they've, they've proven it year after year. The two things concern me: Georgia. The, the concern was that after twelve penalties and two turnovers, Notre Dame was still right there with a chance to win. And LSU, just be cautious with LSU's defense. Their, their defensive line's not what it has been. If they're going to beat Alabama, it's going to have to be in a shootout.
3: By the way, how disgusted are you with yourself for not getting my office reference and being humiliated all over the internet over that?
4: Um, First of all, you totally made a mistake and have now spun it into it was an office reference. that was intentional. That was intentional. Because because somebody did that on social media and then you're like, oh yeah, well that's what I did. That was
3: 100% intentional.
4: I'm sure it was. Play. I'm sure it was. Just admit
3: uh, that you don't watch The Office and that you are an awful human being. That's all I want to hear this morning as we go to break.
4: You are the worst human being that I've ever met. <laughs> and that was not an Office reference. You're trying to save face right now after I buried you with the Beck reference. It
3: <laughs> was a good Beck reference. Uh, Alright, uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. We'll be watching Joel Klatt in Norman in a good hotel. Oh, oh.